My name is Kelsey, but you can call me Kels, and you are listening to the Queer in Alberta podcast. What's your story? What's your sign? It's like we're twin flames in a different life. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Queer in Alberta, the podcast where I interview queer Albertans from all kinds of backgrounds, genders, and sexualities to share their stories. If you're new here, my name is Kels, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a queer Filipina Canadian living on Treaty 7 territory here in Lethbridge, Alberta. Before we get into today's episode, I want to share something really, really special that happened for me and my family just in the past week or so. In, in the 10 years or whatever since I came out to my mom, she's never properly met one of my girlfriends. We've been talking about things more and she's actually been smiling when I tell her stories about my partner, Sarah. So I asked her, I was like, would you be open to the idea of maybe inviting Sarah over to our house and making her a meal and just having all of us together and meeting? And to my surprise, she said yes. And so we spent the night before going all over town looking for the right ingredients to make Sarah some hot pot. We live in Lethbridge. We went to the Umami Grocery downtown. And the owner, Patricia, is just so wonderful. I've been shopping there for many years. She's amazing. And she was like excited to meet my mom and heard about our evening. And when you make hot pot at home, there's like a stove, right? That you put on your table so that you don't have to walk over to your kitchen stove. I don't have one because I am poor. (laughs) So Patricia found that out and she let us borrow the one that she had at the store. The next day rolls around and Sarah, I go and pick her up and she is so nervous. She's brought my mom like a cutting from her jade plant that she has at her apartment. She went to our favorite bakery in the city and got some cupcakes for dessert. And I decided, I was like, hmm, my mom probably will not be that talkative with you. Like the fact that my mom was cooking for her, like culturally was huge, but it wouldn't be like, I wouldn't have a text from my mother saying how much she loved Sarah after that I could read her. And so I had prepared her for that fact. To break the ice, I taught Sarah how to do something in Filipino culture called manopo. And essentially what it is, is you extend, well, no, an elder will extend their hand to you and then you take it and press the back of their hand to your forehead. And essentially that's you accepting their blessing. I grew up doing this with my Lolo and Lola. And while it's, again, typically for older people, um, I knew it would break the ice and I knew it would probably get my mom to laugh and also feel really respected. So I showed Sarah how to do it. We like went through it in the car. She was so nervous. But then when we went into the house, she presents my mother with like all of these gifts and my mom is very much not looking at her. And then (laughs) it's kind of quiet. And I was like, mom, Sarah would also like something else with you. And my mom is confused and goes like, okay, what? And Sarah's hand is like shaking as she (laughs) reaches for my mom's. And my mom doesn't quite get it. She's like, "Mm hmm, and then just like shakes Sarah's hand. And Sarah's like, "Uh," and then takes her hand and presses it to her forehead. And all of us just burst out laughing so loud and so hard. Like my mom, her rough, tough exterior completely evaporated. And she has the most like huge grin on her face. And that was it. But after we finished eating, the three of us, because my brother went to do some work, we went and sat on the couch and watched a movie together, and my mom talked to Sarah a little more, and 
for my girlfriend's part, like she was so respectful and did so well and made sure to thank my mother and really recognized how important it was for her to be there and how, yeah, how striking it was and how much it meant that my mom was even open to the idea. So even though in the moment I kind of felt that seed of frustration again, where I was like, oh, it's been 10 years almost. Can't you just like say hi to my partner? But then I had to remind myself before I thought this conversation or this meeting, this meal would never even be a possibility. And the fact that my mom took so much care to make the food, that's how my mom showed she was trying. If you're listening and you maybe come from a family that's also really religious or conservative or whatever it may be, I don't know your situation and I can't promise that things will be rosy or perfect in the way that you are deserving of. But at least for me, in my case, it shows that even if it doesn't happen overnight, change can come in time. Today's guest is Cece, a queer, trans, Chinese business owner in Calgary, Alberta. This episode is going to sound a little bit different because Cece filmed from her business, Kokodama, which is a great plant store on, I think, Center Street in Calgary. If you are in the city, go and check it out. But... When she was there, she had a track that plays in the store of a bird singing, and neither of us noticed or thought to turn it off for the interview. So this interview is going to be different because I'm going to have some of the background music that accompanies the YouTube video version of these episodes. That's going to be there to kind of see if we can mask a bit of that chirping. Here is Queer in Alberta episode 11, where Cece shares her experiences of coming out as trans later in life and being Chinese-Canadian in Calgary, Alberta. Hi friends, my name is Cece and my pronouns are she and her. So I came out later in life quite a lot later in life like a lot of people are like oh later in life because I'm like 28 or whatever I came out at age 42 I was married um I have two kids and so I had built this whole life um where I had been you know a son and husband and father or at least those are the roles that I had played I came out August 2008 um to myself in the shower so i was just taking my you know sort of everyday morning shower and put the conditioner in my hair i mean it's not something that i hadn't struggled with before but i i looked down as you know as i was soaping up and there was just this sense of overwhelming sense of wrongness panic and like to a degree that i had never experienced before that was like my sort of defining moment my parents are both from hong kong i was the firstborn child in this like sort of chinese family in in conservative alberta in the 70s 80s like 90s that's like when I grew up it was challenging I think in my whole elementary school you know it was like four like five colored kids and like we all happened to be like in the same class and in the same grade which was really interesting I spent my school years uh, essentially trying to be white because it was 
safer, sort of like minimize my Chinese-ness to such a degree that when I got to high school where, like I went to Western Canada High School, um, not because I was smart, because I was in the French program, there were a lot more Asians there, but I, I wasn't able to connect with them. To me, it was like, why are, why are you trying so hard to be Chinese? You know, looking back, I realized that it wasn't that they were trying so hard to be Chinese. It was that I was trying so hard to be white. My brother and I, we grew up in a small town in rural Alberta. And, you know, this was in the 2010s and we still experienced like being one of the only handful of people of color when we were half white. We were lucky enough to be surrounded by a lot of extended Filipino family. But even so, we always kind of felt like we were white and therefore couldn't like be a part of certain things culturally or we just didn't have that kind of drive pushed into us within our family to feel like we should embrace both and so now for me and my brother it's very much been a thing of reclaiming identity that definitely resonates as kids we went to like chinese school every week we were in chinatown you know we would go to chinese school and then we would get like lunch in chinatown for me there was like this sense of sort of embarrassment I don't know, like the sights and sounds and smells of Chinatown. If my parents were like, okay, here's your lunch, and it was like Chinese food, it's just like, like, why can't I just have a sandwich? I, I just want to have a sandwich like everybody else because mm -hmm. it's safe. We have certain dishes in, in Filipino food that are pretty accessible to people from other cultures. Like it's not a big leap. So most often if we bring like food to a potluck, we'll choose those dishes. Yeah. Yeah, like fried rice was like always okay. Unless it's the fishy one, <laughs> <laughs> then, then you'll be in trouble, right? Like, yeah. In Calgary, did you have a lot of representation for queerness in general, but also maybe Asian queerness? Definitely not. Like growing up, like I, I knew one openly gay mm -hmm. white guy. Trans representation was not a thing for anybody. It was really hard, basically struggling with racism, struggling with my gender identity without understanding it and like nobody else was understanding it either. Me wanting to like not wear blue jeans and black brown corduroys because that's all the boys could wear at that time. It's not, not like now where like you can get chinos in like whatever colors. I refused to wear those pants and like I wanted to wear like the colorful cotton pants that the girls got to wear. At the age of like eight or nine, like I, I didn't know what that was. I just knew that that's what I liked. There came a point where it was like recognizing like why, why am I like this one super different person. I'm not comfortable in my body. But there was no way for me to know like, hey, that's okay. Like you're not a freak and you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. You just happen to be trans and you are a girl. There was this challenge of like not knowing that I could be because I'd never seen it. Chinese culture does a really good job at like, keeping people in boxes and the roles that they're like born into and assigned. Everything is family. Don't rock the boat, like don't be different. And if you don't like it, just suffer. 
that keeps all the Chinese queers in the closet. Well, if I come out, then then I'm dishonoring my family. You know, it's not just like mom and dad. You know, it's like mom and dad and my siblings and my grandparents and my cousins and my aunts and uncles and. Um, I think, for from my perspective, um, being sort of raised as the firstborn, like male heir to the name, for the whole extended family, there was a lot of unspoken expectation and pressure. You mentioned that there was a point where you didn't see representation and you were having all of these questions. When was the point that you kind of did see representation that maybe gave you the name for what you were feeling? Even in my university years, the, the term transgender, you know, wasn't in, in like widespread use. The term at the time was transsexual. The narrative around it was like, it was painted as a deviancy, sort of like this really negative thing. I like knew about gender dysphoria. I knew about um, like gender affirming bottom surgery and like the penile inversion method of like creating a neo vagina. But it was like I can't. But that's not me. Like I'm not this deviant person. That label of deviancy even has such like a negative connotation to it. You know, like the thinking at the time was like, I wish that I wasn't a man. And like, if I could be a woman, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't become, like, you know, in quotes, become a woman to like deceive people. But I think the sort of the first representation that I could like really remember is oh, Orange is the New Black, Lauren Cox's character. Her character was like strong and like badass and like, in a women's prison, it was like, oh, like this is a person. This is not just a character. Like this is a person. And then to find out, oh, Laverne Cox is trans. You know, like a trans person playing a trans character. When you see photos of Laverne Cox, it's like, she's beautiful mm -hmm. and she's powerful and she's badass. And and she happens to be a person of color. I think I would say the same thing too. Like I hadn't seen a transgender person on television or media representation like Laverne Cox until Laverne Cox. I mean, like there has been, but like it hasn't been that type of representation. Laverne Cox is not, her character is not a tragedy. I mean, I haven't watched all the seasons, but like, I don't know, up to season three or whatever I watched. Like, she's not a tragedy. She's, she has lots of stuff happen to her. You know, it's not like um, in The Danish Girl. She gets her surgery and dies. It sounds like for you that seeing that character was like a really big maybe coming home moment. Like it didn't, you know, sort of trigger that like aha moment. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was like, I, yeah, I really think it was like, this is a person. You know, this is not a, a I don't know, like a, a deviant, um, crazy person. Like a caricature or anything like that. Like this is a mm -hmm. realized human being that has thoughts and desires and feelings, right? Not just deviant, this label. When you don't get to see anything but tragedy and you're like questioning, looking for a sign that I, I could be okay. Yeah. When all the stories, are tragic it's like i'm gonna come out and then i'm gonna die or i'm gonna have no family i'm going to have no friends um i'm gonna get sick 
And it's amazing that we're starting to get that like queer representation where it's like, yeah, you're a person. Queer people have lives and they have families and they have friends and they have struggles, but they get through them. Like it's it's pretty amazing to to start to see that now. Representation in media is important because even myself, some nights you can maybe think if you haven't seen a lot of happy queer couples, you wonder, is that a possible outcome for me? So I think it's important to see positivity in media, but also here in Alberta, for those of us that are queer to be visible so that others can see that it's possible to be queer and have a happy and fulfilling life in this province. I, I think that's why media representation is so important. If I was into men, like my queerness would be erased. Yeah. We would just look like a hetero couple and like nobody would think anything of it. But, you know, when my girlfriend and I at the time, we would go for like a walk on the, along the river and get like ice cream or whatever. And um, like people would stare, you know, and it's kind of like, oh my God, there's lesbians here. I mean, that is a type of representation, but it's like for me, it's like, ooh, that's a type of representation feels a little unsafe. Early in my transition, I had lots of people staring at me because then I got to the point where people, I don't know, like people are looking because I have a great outfit. That's why media representation is so important because it's like people will see it, they have time to like figure it out in their own worldview without making somebody feel, feel like they're in, in danger. And then as a trans woman, mm -hmm. like if, something happens, if they like, I don't know, like notice my Adam's apple and they're like, oh, this is a man. He has tricked me into being gay. That becomes a very like dangerous, dangerous situation for, for me. And then also for my, my partner, like if I'm with somebody. You were touching on that idea like almost queerness is exhibition. Something that should be stared at or something so strange. Like, I mean, it would, it's one thing to be like, Oh, look at that lesbian couple. They're so cute. Yeah. Versus silently staring and like, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, like that thing. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it, it definitely feels different when, when you're a spectacle versus when you're being celebrated, really. Yeah. Yes, that's totally it. There is definitely a certain stare that may come from men or different groups that is unwarranted and makes you feel unsafe and uncomfortable. There's also that other reception that you're talking about, which can be very positive and, you know, gentle and kind. You mentioned that you kind of had this whole life that you had built for yourself. Can you maybe talk about the steps that led to you coming out later in life after all of that? The year before I came out, um, I actually kind of soft came out. And I, you know, I was talking to some of my girlfriends and I'm like, hey, um, I think I, I think I channel a lot of feminine energy. And they were like, yeah, you do. So, which was amazing. They were like, you know, just, so supportive already seeing me for for me in that year i kind of like i became more diverse in my gender presentation mm -hmm. i would say my pants got pretty skinny you know my my just shirts just got really fitted and like i started like playing with like wearing bow ties um i i kind of call that my like 
that summer, my like butch lesbian phase. Because um, I had like the, the shaved head and like, like on the sides and then like I had all my hair like on top and it was like, like bouffant. Um, and so my presentation like changed and it like it felt good I mean I'd always been like people were like oh you're so fashionable right and so like people just roll with it like I always had um like a cover story yeah it's like the you know like the Korean guys are you know wearing the big sweaters and, and oversized tops and stuff and then yeah and then finally you know sort of on that fateful morning in, in August me freaking out in the shower was exceptional because I was not the type to panic um, and for me to panic that was a big um that's a big deal yeah, yeah. Well, if you suppressed all of your emotions for so long, then to feel something so passionately like panic, I can only imagine. Yeah. And um, yeah, I kind of sat with that on my own for like a few days and um, on, you know, sort of the, the Sunday, I like woke up at midnight and like, it's just, just seeing flashbacks of my youth and like me shaving my legs in high school because I'm a cyclist and like grooming my brows and in university I had long hair and like people would would call me miss presumably as a guy I would be upset at that but that didn't upset me at all it was just like okay I, I guess that's a compliment finally I was just like okay come on like you're you're trans if you look at all of these things with the lens of you are trans and they all make sense mm -hmm. and that was that was a big deal that was like that was the moment um so i it took me a week to come out to my girlfriends because i was just like the like the basically the following week i like had coffee like with somebody almost every day mm -hmm. and and came out to my girlfriends and you know they were very supportive which was amazing um you know i had comments of like of course but another girlfriend who was just kind of like i've i've been waiting for you and then you know like my plan was like okay i'm gonna come out to my girlfriends to see if i'm if i still have friends mm -hmm. and if, like if i have one friend i think i can make it even if i lose all of my family and so the plan was to come out to my then at that time wife, my brother and his his wife, and then my mom, and then my dad, and then the kids. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was going to be social transition time, regardless of if I can get hormones or not, or it's like I have to social transition. And so it took like six weeks, I think, for me to work up the courage to talk to my um my wife at the time and like i was ready to like get kicked out of the house but she is just an amazing woman and um i told the story and like watched her heart break the first thing she says is like how are you gonna get through this this is gonna be really hard for you my brother was really supportive the parents were challenging the kids were super amazing my eldest was 12 at the time um and he was like, okay, just wait. Like you, but you like cars. Like that was his thing that yeah. he was like, I don't, I don't get this. And I was like, oh, lots of girls like cars and there's girl race car drivers and stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Okay, cool. 
you know, and that was it. Um, and then my youngest was just like, he's, I don't know, he's like the most magical creature. I tell my story and he stands up and he's like, stares me straight in the eye, like all serious. And he's just, he takes this really gentle tone with me. And he's like, you know, sometimes I struggle with things also, but it's, it's okay. Like, it's okay to feel that way. And then he gave me this big hug and I was just like, Wow. Uh, wow. I don't understand, but uh-huh. I love you so much. Wow. Um, and so for the kids, it's just it was like, okay, mm-hmm. you're you're my parent. Like they don't have any extra narratives around it. Eventually, got connected uh, with like a doctor through the Skip and Stone Foundation in Calgary, and. Um, was able to start on like hormone treatment and stuff. And um, I have friends who, like trans friends who went on hormones and like waited for their bodies to get to a certain point, like before, you know, doing the social transition. But like, for me, it was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't wait for hormones. Like if I don't, if I don't do things to affirm who I know myself to be, I, you know, I, well, I don't know how many days I'm going to make it, you know. Talking about being queer and being Asian, living in the diaspora, what about that is really kind of something that you want to talk about today? Pre-Christian influence, many cultures have lots and lots of history of queerness, Chinese, emperors there's just so many stories of like them having like male lovers and there's like all these like really amazing and really romantic stories like they will just make you cry being born here didn't have access to that type of representation i don't read chinese um to get access to that kind of text, even if I could read, I think that would be really challenging being in Southern Alberta. You know, my elders aren't telling those stories to not see Asian trans people. I did actually meet another Asian trans person here in Calgary. And uh, we had like a picnic in the summer, like two years ago or something. And like, we had like a five hour picnic because Mm -hmm. we're like, Oh my goodness, there's another Asian trans person, like in real life. It's really easy to be like, the cultural heritage that I know is like, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't support me as a queer person. But it's like, if we go far enough back, it's yeah. like, actually, it does. And there's this whole queer history that's part of where I come from, but to like, not see that you know like sort of like participating in queer spaces even like on in like online spaces i feel like i'm the only one the whole western queer experience like we see that that's what we see sort of being third culture but everything else around me says you you should just be you and you should just come out and like if people don't like it uh fuck them but you don't understand like the way i was raised they are my life. And like, if I don't have them, then then what, what am I? Like, I've come to understand how important representation is. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, like if it doesn't, if it doesn't exist, then, then we have to 
go get it. We have to go make it um, as a business owner. Like, it's just, I'm the boss, right? And so I'm like, I'm gonna queer up my brand. So on my Instagram, I use like, I use this O logo with the little leaf sticking out of it. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna stick the, I'm gonna stick the progressive trans flag in the middle of the O. And then, you know, I, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick it on my, on my mm-hmm. business card. And then on my personal Instagram, like I just, I share my experiences and I'm open about them. And like, I write typically not for trans people. I write for cis people. There's lots of trans people writing for trans people. And, you know, I, I don't know, I need city council people or like school board trustees, MLAs or whatever, you know, like I, I want those people to be like, oh yeah, like I know of this trans person and trans people becomes personal because it's not trans people, it's CC. And like, can you just like take a moment to acknowledge how absolutely cool it is that you started modeling in your forties and just were like, bam, like, that's awesome. At the age of 43, I was like, I'm going to become a model. And that's how I'm going to like create representation. Modeling has been really fun. At first it was just like a joke. Uh Like I, I had this Instagram post. I think it was like me running. Like I just put this PS at the bottom of the post. I was like, PS, if any like inclusive, like sports company is looking for a trans model, like, uh, please consider me a stylist. Her name is Jory. She reached out and she's like, Hey, um, you know, like, I'm not uh, like a clothing company or anything, but she's like, how, how serious are you? And I was like, serious. And, you know, we talk about representation and stuff and she's like, cool. And like, three or four weeks later, she's like, okay, so I uh, have a photographer. How would you like to go for a photo shoot? And then, you know, I got to share those photos and like things just kind of, I put it in my profile um, that I'm a model. Sometimes there's part of me that's like, oh, like, am I being tokenized? But at the same time, I think with the people that I've worked with so far, I don't think I have been, but like, even if it is sort of at this point in the game, representation is representation. It's what we got. With things like tokenization, you you can kind of get a really good feel for it with people, you know, like when they're approaching you with a project or something, you can kind of sense their intentions. And so it sounds like the intentions of the people that have worked with you so far have been really good. Um, what would you maybe like to say to other Albertans who maybe are feeling the same struggles or experiences that you did in your journey? You know, even coming up like to the time where I came out to myself, like, like that was three years ago. Like it wasn't that long. It felt very lonely and it felt like I had to do it on my own. Um, you don't have to do it on your own for as conservative of a province um, Alberta is uh, we have some pretty amazing people like we have a pretty amazing queer community small as it is mm-hmm. you can get support um, I know for me when I first came out it was like really intimidating I had never really been part of like the queer community or had very much exposure to it and 
I felt like I didn't quite belong. Like, is Calgary going to like be okay with me? If you're feeling that too, the queer community welcomes you. We also have some great um, like organizations and, and resources in Calgary, like uh, Skipping Stone. Like so, if you're struggling with your gender, Skipping Stone is amazing. They work with um, all ages, and um, like Calgary Sexual Health is a great organization. I just I want you to know that you aren't you aren't alone, even though even though you might feel isolated the hard part is going to be reaching out but if you can do that we're here everybody feels like what you've touched on that idea that they're the only person feeling the things that they're feeling i i would have totally echo what you've said in the sense that you're not alone and there is a community that's here to help you and embrace you and be there for you we're, we're gonna be your you know your siblings and <laughs> and like aunties and you know all the rest six or seven or eight year old me just felt so alone and abandoned and misunderstood. She pushed down the things that were her. I don't know, I, I would want her to know that those things are, are the beautiful parts of her. I think sort of beyond words, like if I could have made a safe space for that. That would mean that I would have a lot less trauma now. Um, I just want to tell you that I, for one, am very inspired by you. Thank you. I um, I really appreciate um, that you're doing this work and like giving us all sort of a platform to share our stories. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Queer in Alberta. Wasn't Cece's story just so inspiring? I believe she's only a few days away from gender confirmation surgery in Montreal, Quebec. You can follow her on TikTok and Instagram with the same username of at the transplanter. So that's at T-H-E-T-R-A-N-S-P-L-A-N-T-E-R. We're definitely wishing her a speedy recovery and just so excited for this next leg of her journey and transition. If you want to follow along with me and everything queer in Alberta, I am on TikTok with the username at underscore Kelsifer. So underscore K-E-L-S-I-F-E-R. I just want to take a second to let everybody know that this very well might be the last episode for season one. I finished filming for Story Hive in December and now I am in post-production. I'm also returning to full-time studies at the university for my master's, so my time's gonna be really, really busy. But please keep in touch and stay updated for that summer 2023 Story Hive release. I know I'm really excited and so much work has got into it, so I really hope that you love what ends up going out there. Now, as always, no matter where you are in the world today or where you're listening from, I hope you are feeling proud, celebrated, and loved for who you are today. Until next time, Kels.